A reading from the book of Sirach. And now bless the God of all, who has done wondrous things on earth, who fosters people's growth from their mother's womb and fashions them according to his will. May he grant you joy of heart and may peace abide among you. May his goodness toward us endure in Israel to deliver us in our days. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. I will worship you at your holy temple. Oh God, oh God, let all the nations praise you. I will give thanks to your name because of your kindness and your truth. When I called, you answered me. You built up strength within me. Oh God, oh God, let all the nations praise you. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth and they shall sing the ways of the Lord. Great is the glory of the Lord. Oh God, oh God, let all the nations praise you. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus that in him you were enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you so that you were not lacking in any spiritual gift as you await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end, irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and by him you were called to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
Gospel according to Luke. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten persons with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, 10 were cleansed. Were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? He said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, we find ourselves this morning on Thanksgiving Day, and not surprising, there's a great deal of debate and discussion within uh, the scholarly academic community of historians as to the origin of Thanksgiving Day. And the consensus seems to settle around 1621 as kind of the first unofficial uh, Thanksgiving Day when the early arrivals came to these shores and had great fellowship with the Native Americans who happened to already be here. And they worked harmoniously together on various projects trading, learning from each other, teaching back and forth. And it was harvest time. And at the time of the harvest, they came together for a celebration of thanksgiving, of fellowship, and of togetherness. And over the next decades and years of the colonial period, it became and took on a much more religious tone to it, mainly through the influence of the Puritans. 
And for those of you who hanker for that old time religion while wanting the new time comforts and conveniences, it may come as a shock to you that uh, the old time Puritans, today was not a day of feasting, it was a day of fasting, of penance, of prayer, and sitting on those hard benches in the uh, makeshift church of the Puritans uh, for hours. Some of the sermons may seem like ours, they're not, uh, but theirs were. And uh, it kept that religious tone uh, for many decades, many, many decades. In 1787, as the Constitutional Convention was meeting in Philadelphia, in Independence Hall, the head of the assembly, President George Washington, declared a national day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God for the colonists' victory over England, thank God for his blessings and guidance going forward. Uh, but throughout that period, between that colonial into the constitutional era, and uh, into the uh, 19th century, um, it uh, was offered on many different days, in many different ways, uh, around the country. There was no uniformity. In 1863, at the height of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln called for a national day of Thanksgiving in which he asked all Americans, north and south, to come together for a national day of prayer, a national day of thanksgiving, and above all, a national day of healing for the widows and the orphans, for the families that had lost loved ones, loved ones who were maimed and hurt in the great civil war that tested the very heart and soul of this new nation, conceived in liberty, whether it would long endure. And that continued till uh, a wonderful, persistent lady by the name of uh, Sally Hale began a national letter writing campaign as early as 1827, asking for a uniform National Day of Thanksgiving. And Lincoln, President Lincoln, declared the last Thursday, the last Thursday in November, to be that national day, a prayer for thanksgiving and healing that the nation could go forward with not malice or hatred but with unified in oneness, the great reconciliation and one of the great tragedies of the assassination of President Lincoln was his failure to carry out that post-war period. How it would turn out is anyone's speculation. But I imagine it would have been very, very different, especially with his second inaugural address and calling for 
uh, not vengeance and hatred, but for charity to all, vengeance for none, hatred for none. And it uh, stayed there until Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as the Depression was still, still gripping the country, in 1939, um, he thought it would be a good idea to help the sagging economy to move Thanksgiving from the last Thursday to the first Thursday. Well, this met with a great deal of resistance. Nobody wanted it. An act of political expediency, uh, Roosevelt, who was never short on holding his finger to the breeze, uh, acquiesced in a compromise and said it would be the fourth Thursday in the month of November. He thought that if he took and pushed it back to the first Thursday, he could capitalize on also Christmas and the commercialization even then, and as a way of boosting the economy. That didn't work. And so here we are today. And speaking of today, there's a growing chorus of voices in this country that this day is a day that should be eliminated. It's a sham. It's a farce. Uh, a day of thanksgiving to God. We have so many things to be ungrateful for. It's a day when we experience in our world, and certainly in our country, a great deal of division and strife. The 1% against the 99%, black against white, various religions now, ethnicity, anti-Semitism, we look at the economy. There are those who say that this day has become simply a prelude to the great commercialization of things, the great secularization. It's lost its meaning and its purpose. It's no longer a religious activity. It's, it's simply something that we should put aside and forget about and just consider it like any other day. Well, may I suggest to you this morning that if we do it no other day, let us today make our own proclamation within ourselves that we will not succumb to the terminal negativity, the doom and gloom, and all that goes with it that ensures failure, that so many, many, take the light in today. Let us reject the voices of what's wrong. Let us reject that negativity which is like a cancer on the individual soul as well as the soul of a nation. Let us dare to be, if you will, countercultural. Let us dare to be truly Christian and Catholic, and at the same time American. For such calls are really anti-American in that 
If there is anything that is associated with America, it is that of hope, of going forward for all of America's sins, of all of its flaws and imperfections. As Madison said, if the Constitution were made for angels, there would be no need for laws. But since they are made for men, human beings, we need that. And it is a self-correcting document. It may take time, but it corrects itself. Uh, I'm reminded of after the, after the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, in Independence Hall, after they had voted on the ratification of the new Constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation, which had been a disaster, um, the wise man of that, uh, of that convention Benjamin Franklin, now 81 years old, pushing 82. And he had attended every session, unfortunately, but first, where he tended to put into nomination the name of George Washington as the first president. Someone else did, which became, which was unanimously uh, ratified by the Congress. You imagine. You, Unified United Congress, my goodness. And um, unanimously. And when the, when the Constitution in its final form, after many, 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 many heated debates on the issues, by the way, of sectionalism, big states versus little states, how many votes, who would vote, would slaves be counted? How would they be counted? All of these things. They finally reached this Constitution, and it was ready to go to the states for ratification. And as they were ending, and it was over, Benjamin Franklin was leaving, and he turned and he remarked to another delegate, he said, all of these weeks and all of these months, I have sat here and fixed my gaze on the chair where the president sat, specifically on the back of that chair, because on the back of that chair was painted a picture of a range of hills and mountains. And in the background was half of the sun. And Franklin said, for the longest time I wondered, was it the sun setting or was it the sun rising? He said, after today I am blessed. For I know it is the sun rising. Great hope. Great hope. 
um, in uh, 1984, when President Reagan was elected and reelected, he had a picture in the Oval Office. It was a picture of beautiful mountain ranges in California that he loved so much perhaps in the Simi Valley. And there was a lone figure walking on the side of the mountain. And the sun was just up overhead. And underneath it, Reagan had written, I love to walk on the sun side of the mountain. That picture and that inscription was given to the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh, and it hangs in his office in the Supreme Court building. I love to walk on the sun side of the mountain. The final example comes by way of St. Pope John Paul II. In his declining years as Pope, uh, he had been visited by a group of pilgrims from his native Poland, in fact, Krakow. And the Pope invited them to stay on the first floor of the papal residence in the Vatican while they were pilgriming in Rome, and they were going to attend Mass that the Pope had offered that morning. And the Pope's residence was on the second floor above them. And the first night that they were there, they stayed, and that morning, about 4.30 or so, they heard on the ceiling. Naturally, they were startled by all of this. Vatican ghost, all that, you can only imagine. And after mass at breakfast, one of them said, uh, Holy Father, we heard the this, this sound on the roof, on the ceiling. Where we, were, where we were staying. And he said, and startled us. We didn't know what it was. And the Pope said, oh, that was me. I love to rise early to see the sun rise. It was the Pope's cane on the floor because he loved to see the sun rise. Let us, if we do nothing else today, lift our minds and hearts to God. Let us today, and it may become a habit, to walk on the sun side, not a sun setting, but a sunrise.
And there are those who say, there is no longer any religious meaning to Thanksgiving. Another commercial day, another day of football, what have you, and so on and so forth like that. Simply put, I think they're very, very wrong. I think this is a profoundly religious day. When families come together, loved ones, maybe traveling from faraway places, maybe children coming home, friends long forgotten, relatives lost touch with, they find their way back. And there's a fellowship of a great meal that transcends the food, that transcends all of those things. It is the coming together and connecting the cord of time, the generations that sit at that table, past, present, and those who are expecting children, in the umbilical cord of time that connects together that is profoundly religious and spiritual because it also points beyond to that great thanksgiving, that eternal Eucharist, that eternal gathering when we will all be together, pray God, at the table of the Lord in that eternal banquet that will never end. This is a deeply profound day because it is a foretaste and promise of what eye has not seen nor ear heard, what God has in store for those who truly love him. It is a hint, a rumor of angels, if you will, a slight lifting of the veil, a whisper in the ear and the touching of the heart that in spite of all, of all of the reasons not to, today is a day of spes contra spes, hope against all reason to hope, to walk on the sun side of the mountain rather than dwell in the shadows, to live in the caves, or to carry the clouds with us even on a day like this, it's easy to forget that if you go high enough, the sky is blue and the sun is shining. If you can get above the clouds. Let us today see the deeper meaning, the deeper presence. When you are dispersed and go home, pray God, and are with those you love, that web of time, that umbilical cord of memory. It's a foretaste and a promise of that eternal banquet. And what would such a day be without a toast, without a toast? And so I went and looked up 
I wrote it down because I'm not very good at these things. I wrote it down. Um, a toast by one of the great men of letters, the beginning of the 20th century, Hilary Blaylock. And Blaylock, who was a great man of letters, he met his wife in Napa Valley in California, a British citizen. He and G.K. Chesterton were some of the leading intellectuals at the time, both devout Catholics. Uh, at, at the same time, being good Catholics, they had a lust for life. And uh, they enjoyed themselves. This is a day of enjoyment. Let's not be afraid that somewhere somebody's having a good time. Uh, you know, don't want to don't want to be worried about that. God, you know, God forbid. So, so let's let's not do that. Let's enjoy ourselves. Because joy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. To enjoy ourselves. Thank God. And when. Belloc was asked to give a toast, and he loved to do that, at the banquets, which he loved to attend. If you see the size of him, you would know that. He offered the following, which I think is a wonderful thing. He said, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good red wine. At least I've always found it so. Benedictimus Domino. May that be said of us when we gather. May the Catholic sun death shine. May there be good red wine. May it be found so. Let us bless the Lord. Benedictimus. Domino. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.